Bibles and turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 18 is where we're going to be this morning. Acts chapter 18. One more thing, and that is the, uh, the uh, outdoors uh, baptism service at the lake at Wiley is canceled for this afternoon. Um, those of you who are, no, I'm kidding. We did not have anything canceled. Uh, or we did not have anything planned. That would be crazy to do that. 26 minus 26 this morning. I am looking at tough people. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for, for being here this morning. Lord, thank you for what you're doing around this world. Thank you for what you are doing on the Horn of Africa. Thank you for the, the pictures of persons whose lives have been changed. Someday, Lord, we will, it will not be necessary to hide their identity, and we will see them face to face. And we will look at them and we will say, I, I've heard a part of your story. Uh, from throughout time and around the world, people are going to gather together and we're all going to have a story of how we came to you. I thank you that what you did back in the book of Acts continues to happen today. So now, Lord, as we look into your word, uh, may it become alive to us, not just a recitation of history, but a, a, may it end up with a prayerful determination, oh Lord, use me in that way. This is my prayer today. In Jesus' name, amen. You're there in your Bibles in the book of Acts chapter 18. And uh, we have been, for the last number of weeks, if you've been with us, uh, we have been looking at Paul and his travels. This man named Paul, who was greatly used of God to go, as our guest just shared, from place to place and planting churches. The Apostle Paul, on three different missionary journeys, and then ultimately on a journey that we call his, his prison journey, or as a, as a prisoner, on four different trips, this man named Paul is being greatly used of God to lead people to Jesus Christ and to establish churches, that is, gatherings of believers, wherever he goes. But we've noticed this, and you've noticed this, perhaps you've long known, that Paul, while he was doing this, did not travel alone. He always took someone with him. There was always someone involved in the process. There was always somebody who was there by his side or around him who was praying for him or who was being used of God in their own right. Paul understood the importance of doing life together and doing ministry together. And it's really a lesson for every one of us. God did not call us into isolation. God did not call us into separation from each other. But he called us to do this thing called life and ministry together. We see this here in the book of Acts chapter 18. In fact, Acts chapter 18 verse 1 says this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. That's the opening line. Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. Now that, that doesn't seem very much, it's just a couple of places on a map, but to better appreciate that statement, that opening line to to chapter 18, to better appreciate that, you need to understand some things about this city called Corinth. Corinth. Because of, because of its strategic location, it was a, a crossroad of cultures. It was, it was on this, this, what's called an isthmus. It's, 
It's this connecting land piece between the Aegean Sea and the Mediterranean Sea. It was a shortcut from places, uh, significant places, and, and what it was a seaport. People would come there, they would offload their stuff, take it across this short little land bridge, put it on another ship, and then go someplace else. Uh, it, was, it was a very key place. Corinth was like a crossroads within the Met Mediterranean Sea. It was a major place. Because of this, there were a lot of people that would come and gather there from a lot of different cultures. And when they came there, they would also bring their false gods. So if you were to go, if you were living at this time and you were to go to this place called Corinth, you would find there temples and, and uh, places of worship of one kind or another to a variety of gods, small g, false gods, pagan gods. It was very uh, open to this, uh, even though the, the official, if you would, religion of, of that period of time would be the, the, the Greek pantheon or even to some degree the worship of the, uh, the emperor himself. Uh, th they were open to all kinds of false gods. And so there was a, a lot of paganism. You might even say that Corinth was hip deep in paganism. It was a very pagan city with all kinds of false gods and even demonic spirits. It was, a, it was a difficult and dark place. Corinth was also an extremely immoral place. Many of you have read the book of the books of the books in the Bible called First and Second Corinthians that were later on letters to the church that had been established in Corinth to the believers there. And again and again, particularly in 1 Corinthians, you, you see Paul addressing a lot of the sexual perversions that were prevalent in the greater culture. They were addressing those things because Corinth was an extremely immoral place. One example of this on a, on a very prominent place in the city was what was called the Temple of Aphrodite. Aphrodite was the pagan god of love. It was essentially a high-class brothel. That's what the temple of Aphrodite was. In fact, at that time, and there are still worshipers, believe it or not, of Aphrodite today, uh, and, and, and uh, the, 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 the goddess, of, the false goddess of Aphrodite was, was the, the uh, patron god of prostitutes. It was, it, was an extremely, it was an extremely immoral place. In fact, there was probably a saying back then. You would see it on the bumpers of, uh, of chariots. Uh, what happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. That was that, that kind of a place. It, it, was, it was perverse in the extreme. Things that were not only allowed, but things that were celebrated. Every kind of perversion imaginable happened here in this city of Corinth. So it was a pagan place. It was an immoral place, and this is the place where God directed Paul, right? Paul's not here by mistake. There's a purpose that God has in it. Even though that line is very, very brief, he goes from Athens to Corinth, God has a purpose in it. Why? Because there was so much darkness in Corinth, but in this dark and spiritually dreary place, isn't that where the light of Jesus Christ shines the brightest, I mean, we look at dark places then and now, and we go, oh, what a hard and difficult place. And yet, it's in, it's in those dark and dreary, spiritually dark places where the light of the gospel shines the brightest. The Holy Spirit directed Paul to go there and to plant a church. 
But again, Paul wasn't alone. Look at verse 2. Verse 2 of Acts 18 says this. There, that is in Corinth, Paul met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, husband and wife, because Claudius, he was the emperor, because Claudius had ordered all the Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. So he stayed with them and he worked with them. So this tells us, just this few verses, these few verses tell us that Aquila and Priscilla were Jews who had come to Christ. They were ethnically Jewish. They had been born into Judaism, and we don't know their backstory. Perhaps someday when we get to heaven, we will. But at some point, they'd been introduced into a relationship, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So they understood the whole background, and they understood about the need for a Messiah. But then when they heard about Jesus, they understood he is the Messiah. He is the answer. He is the fulfillment of God's plan. They believed, and they understood that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead to give them eternal life. And they came to Christ. They were ethnically Jewish, but they had become Christians. So that's what this tells us. They had also faced persecution back in Rome because they were Jewish. They were tent makers, it said, which means that they, this was their trade. This was their, uh, their vocation. They, they knew how to make tents. You understand at this time, there were a lot of tents. People would move around and they had these mobile air housing, if you will, of its time. And, and so they made tents and they would repair tents. Paul also understood this trade. And it says here that they did this together. This is how they supported themselves. And then it says here, at the very end of these verses that we read, it says Paul lived with them, and they, they worked. he worked with them, but he lived with them and worked with them. We understand from a little bit later on in the, in the chapter that he worked with them for and lived with them for 18 months. That's a long time. If, if you spend a month with someone in their home, you're going to get to know them very well. If you spend 18 months with them, you're going to become like part of the family, right? Wouldn't you agree? I mean, that, that's kind of how it works today. They're like family because we did life together for, we know, 18 months. So we know that Paul is there in Corinth. We know that Priscilla and Aquila are there in Corinth. Verse 5 tells us that Timothy and Silas also came to Corinth to be with Paul. So Timothy was like a spiritual son to Paul. And Silas was that guy who had been imprisoned with Paul and who had sung at midnight with Paul back in that Philippian jail. We talked about him last week. So here are these believers. We, we know by name we have Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, Timothy and Silas. We know for there were at least five people there that God had brought together, but he brought them together with a purpose. God brought them together with a purpose. This was not a random thing. You know, when, when God brings people together, he has a purpose in it. Do, do you know that today God purposely put you here and our guest who's up now with the kids speaking and ministering to them um, uh, God brought you together. God, that person who's just down the pew from you or that person that, that is a, a committed follower of Jesus Christ, maybe they attend a different church here in this community, uh, but, but God brings people together, but he does so for a purpose. He has a greater plan. 
This is what's happening here. Verse 4 tells us that every Sabbath day, Paul took the message of Jesus to people in the synagogue. Uh, this is where not only Jews would gather, but there were also others who were non-Jews, the Bible tells us, who would gather there in the synagogue. And every Sabbath day, Paul would go and he would tell people about Jesus. Uh, it, it, it indicates that this went on for some weeks. Verse 6 says that the people there in the synagogue, as he would share Jesus, it says there that they opposed Paul and they became abusive. Now that's a powerful statement. So here's this guy directed by the Holy Spirit to go to this corrupt city. There's a, a synagogue there, a Jewish synagogue, but he goes there and he begins telling people about Jesus. But in the midst of this darkness, it says the people opposed him, they pushed back, and they even became abusive. Now, I don't know exactly what that means. I don't know if abusive means that they threw things at him or if they just verbally assaulted him. But it was a, diff a difficult thing. It was difficult for him to go week after week to this place and get this kind of abuse. You know, when you look at Paul's journeys in the book of Acts, uh, it's easy to start thinking, you know, he would just go from one place to another. And because he was such a powerful speaker, because the presence of God was on him so powerfully, and he was so mightily used of God that people, they just... It was irresistible. They, they could not help but get saved. And yet, if you read through the book of Acts, you will find Paul going to these different communities, and he was facing one kind of opposition after another. This was his, this was his world. This was not unknown to him. There are other places that you can read in the book of Acts where he would go into a community and people would become so infuriated and incensed at him that they would start reaching, grabbing rocks and throwing at him. In fact, at one point, they threw so many rocks at him, they presumed that he was dead. That's the degree of opposition that he faced. Our guest this morning, I don't know the degree of opposition that she has faced as she has shared the gospel in, in different places, but, but I promise you that not everyone responds, and we understand this. But at the end of every difficult day, now you, you understand the setting here, at the end of every difficult day, after he's been here at the synagogue and he's been sharing about Jesus, and people are opposing him and people are abusing him, he would return to his friend's home where he was encouraged and prayed for and befriended. I'm telling you, I'm really, really glad that Paul was not there in Corinth alone. But there were other people who came around him and said, hey, listen, we're for you. I, I, tell us about your day. And he would tell them, oh, man, it was hard. Well, let's pray together. And, and that, that group of three or four or five people would come together and they would pray together and they would befriend each other and they would strengthen each other. You ever felt like Paul felt? You ever felt maybe just a little bit of, of what he experienced? Have you, you don't need to raise your hands to this, but just in your own minds answer the question, have, have you ever faced some of the immoralities in this world and it just begins to wear on you? And you're wondering how, how much more, like, like Corinth, that was again a very immoral, dark, spiritually dark city, has it ever occurred to you, how bad can it get? How much more dark is my world going to become? 
We face this and we encounter it and, and, and we come up in, in opposition against it and, 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 and it's almost an assault upon us. Right? Have you ever been wearied by the wickedness that seems to grow darker and darker? As a follower of Jesus Christ, in our culture, in any culture, when we confront the darkness, it can have a, a wearying effect upon us. It just kind of wears us down. Have there been times when you come back from your job or maybe your school, maybe a place where you gather with people and, and, and you just feel like, I've seen so much wickedness today, or I've seen so I've heard so many wicked things today. I, I, I I'm, I'm weary. I'm weary in spirit. Or maybe, like Paul, you, you've lived for Christ and you've shared your faith with someone and you've prayed for people, but instead of those persons that you've shared with and you've prayed for, instead of them repenting. They push back. Instead of them saying, I'm lost, I'm hopeless without Jesus, instead of them doing that, they, they oppose you, they ignore you, maybe even attack you. Has that ever worn anyone else down? Like I keep sharing the gospel, I keep working on this person, and it seems like I can't get any place with them. If, if we are in a world and we're living for Jesus Christ, there's a tension that comes with that. When we surrendered our lives to Christ, we begin living for him rather than living for ourselves or for something else in this world. And when that happens, there's this, this tension within us and we, we can get weary of that. And if we have no one else around to encourage us, if we have no one else around who will pray for us, if there's no one who will, who will help us on the journey, then we are going to be more given to discouragement. There are people who try going it alone, and they have no other believers around them who will strengthen them and encourage them and pray for them, and they're more given to discouragement. Some have even abandoned the faith and walked away from Jesus Christ. Some live in a, in a place of great depression because there's no one there with them to do the journey with them. We can lose hope. Many times people are tempted to quit. But like Paul and Priscilla and Aquila and Silas and Timothy and others who we know were here, this is one of the main reasons why we gather as Christians. We do not gather in this place on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or some other time during the week when there's a whole lot happening around here. We don't simply come here and gather here because it's something that we're supposed to do. We gather together in, in different places, in homes, in, in businesses, in, in, in places of gathering around our community because when we do so, we're stronger together because we're encouraged in the faith. And there's a lot of opinions flying out there, but I'll tell you, one of the things that I'm opposed to and when 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 Christians are, are, are tried to be stopped from gathering is that I, I can't help but think that there's an insidious thing behind this and that the enemy does not want believers to gather together. 
And I'm not talking simply about at a certain location in a building, but even just a small group of gathering of believers gathering together. They're, 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 we're more powerful and stronger together in Jesus Christ than we are separately. We gather together to strengthen, to support, and to pray for one another. To know that you're not alone. That I'm not the only person in this city. I'm not the only person in this place. This was made real to me several years ago. In fact, Gary, I, I'm, I'm going to pick on you. At my, my dear brother and friend, I remember some years ago, Gary, you, you can't claim to me. And Gary had a job where he traveled a lot. And he said, he said I so look forward to Sundays he said, I, 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 because I gather with other believers, and he said, it's stronger because, it, because of some of the wickedness that I face during the week. It makes a difference. I've heard others of you say, it's been such a hard week. I feel so beaten down at my, at my school or at my work. I feel so beaten down. But when I gather together with other believers, and it may be over lunch or it may be over coffee or it may be in someone's home. It may be right here. But when we gather together, we feel stronger and we feel better because we know that we're not alone. It makes a difference. Something else that happened to Paul when those who opposed him were many, and that is Jesus spoke to Paul. Look at verse 9. Verse 9 reads this way. One night the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. <laughs> Did you, did you hear uh, our guest's testimony just a little while ago about that guy who, who, who had a, a dream, a, a night vision, right? He still does that. He did it then. He does it today. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Don't be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Look, look at the words that Jesus spoke. You see them before you. Look at the words that Jesus spoke to him that night. Jesus said, don't be afraid. Jesus said, keep on speaking about me. Jesus said, don't be silent. Jesus said, I am with you. Jesus said, you won't be harmed. Jesus said, there are others beside you. It takes just a few seconds to read that. It probably took just a few seconds to hear it. But when he heard it and it got into his spirit, I think it changed his outlook. He had heard from Jesus and Jesus said, yeah, it's dark out there. It's difficult. A lot of people oppose you, but it's okay. I have a plan and you're going to win. Glory to God. Boy, there are times when we need each other and there are times when we need to hear from Jesus and he needs to speak into our hearts and, and, and give us that clarification and, and give us that reminder, I have you here for a purpose and I have you here for a plan and I'm going to use you. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be silent. Keep on doing what you're doing because I have a purpose for you. I have a plan for you. So many of you, even now here it is, it's, we're into February, but a number of you I've talked with, you're, you've been reading through the Bible this year. You, you're in the Word, and God's really uh, stirring people about just getting into the Word. I'll tell you, as you're in there, God, the Holy Spirit is going to do this. As you're faithful week after week, as you're faithful day after day to get into God's Word, I promise you, He's going to speak to you. He's going to reveal some things. It's almost as if the words are going to lift off the page, and you know right in that moment that is for you. If you're in the word, you see, God, through his Holy Spirit, continues to speak to us today through his word. 
He can speak through other people as well to us from God, but, but he speaks to us more than anything from his word. God has given us his word. He's given us the presence of his Holy Spirit. Where the Holy Spirit comforts us, meets with us, reassures us, reminds us. So that we can keep on speaking. So that we do not remain silent. So that we do not stop. Folks, I'm speaking to believers not in the first century, but in the 21st century. We have a message to get out. His name is Jesus. We have the message of salvation through Jesus alone. We cannot stop. We cannot stop. The culture around us, the people around us, some of the policies around us will tell you, stop. You can't, you can't tell people about Jesus. Uh, it, 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 I promise you, it is and it will continue to become more increase. It will become increasingly politically incorrect to share your faith with Jesus Christ. There may even come a point in our lives. In fact, I think that there will almost certainly come a point in our lives where many of us will face greater degrees of persecution for sharing the message of Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you, do not stop. We have a holy calling. God has called us to this. It's not just for the first century, it's for the 21st century. If Priscilla and Aquila were never mentioned again in the Bible, they would still be highly regarded. If this was the only mention of them, we would still say, I mean, right there, that would be enough right there just to, to, to say, look what these people did. But verses 18 and 19 tell us that Paul, along with Priscilla and Aquila, left Corinth and traveled to the city called Ephesus. There in Ephesus, Paul eventually moved on, taking someone else with him, but Aquila and Priscilla remained on in the city of Ephesus. And verse 24 says this, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scripture. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Let me just pause here for a moment. This man named Apollos in the city of Ephesus, Aquila and Priscilla are also in the city. He comes and he begins telling people about Jesus. It wasn't that what he said was wrong, it was just incomplete. He didn't, have, he didn't know the full story of the gospel. Some have said he may not have even known. He, he only knew what John had preached, the, that is John the Baptist had preached. Uh, but John the Baptist died before Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. So some have said he may not, he knew about Jesus and that, that he's the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, but he didn't know the full picture. So, so this, is, this is the problem that we have. The man is speaking truth, but it's, it's, it's somewhat incomplete. Second part of verse 26 says this. When Priscilla and Aquila, there they are again, when they heard him, they invited Apollos to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. One translation says more completely. I love this. I love this text. These two precious believers, these two precious believers, when they were in Corinth, they took Paul into their home to, to, to befriend him and to encourage him. 
These same two people who had taken someone into their home for 18 months to befriend and encourage here in another city, they took this man named Apollos into their home. Please notice that. It says here, they invited Apollos to their home, to their home. He invited them, they invited Apollos into their home now for a different purpose. This was to carefully instruct him and to lovingly correct him. Here are these people, these amazing people, and they pull him aside and say, Apollos, what you're saying is true, but it's incomplete. We want to give you the rest of the picture. They didn't berate him. They didn't pull him aside and said, what are you doing? Why aren't you telling? They didn't hammer him down. They simply said, hey, Apollos, we want you to come to our house tonight. We're going to have supper. It's really going to be good. Aquila said, you're going to love my, my wife's gyros. I mean, they are so good. And you come tonight and we're going to talk about Jesus. And they did. And they instructed him. And they corrected him. And a potential problem was averted because we know that Apollos from elsewhere. We know that he was a very gifted uh, speaker and very influential and highly regarded they, they averted a, a potential problem because somebody lovingly and carefully instructed someone. No place in this book will you find Aquila and Priscilla. I think they're mentioned seven times. No place in this book will you find Aquila or Priscilla preaching to multitudes. Not even once. Now, they may have, but it's not recorded. No place in this book will you find Aquila and Priscilla supernaturally used of God to provide food or see someone's healing. Not even one time in this book is it recorded that Priscilla or Aquila cast out demons from people. Now, they may have, they may have, They had the authority to do so in the name of Jesus, as any believer does. But 2,000 years later, what do we remember them for? Bringing someone into their home to encourage them and befriend them. And inviting someone into their home to instruct them and to help them. And I think how much like believers today... How much like believers today? We may not be used to preach to the multitudes or to pray for people, but God can use us to befriend someone. God can use us to encourage someone. God can use us to carefully and lovingly instruct or even correct someone in our homes. In our homes. In our homes. Um, Every one of us here have a number of things in common, but one of the things that we have in common is we all, obviously, we all live somewhere. God has given you an apartment or a home or uh, a house someplace. Uh, It may even be just rented or owned, it may have been inherited, I, it doesn't really matter, but we all live someplace. And I, 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 I'm reading through this and studying through this these last couple of weeks, and I, I'm thinking, Lord, 
would you use our homes? Would you use our homes? Connecting point this morning, uh, our guest shared with, it was was great. We had a wonderful time there. And uh, she shared a little bit of her story. And and I said, I asked the question, I said, what are the key elements to, what are the key elements to people who are lost in that area? What are the key elements in them coming to faith in Jesus Christ? Right away, she had an answer. She said, there are three elements involved in every person to coming to Christ. First of all, they have a truth encounter. A truth encounter is is when they encounter the truth of God's word. Somebody shares the message of Jesus Christ with them from the word. The power of the word. This is powerful. She said, everyone has a truth encounter. And then they have a power encounter. In other words, she said, specifically, she said, God's speaking to them through a dream or a miracle happening or a believer praying for another believer and they, they're healed or they're delivered of something. They have a truth encounter. They have a power encounter. And she said, the last element is a love encounter. That a person who has faith in Jesus Christ demonstrates their love to someone else. Did you get that? That's a, that's a, that's a, a truth encounter a power encounter and a love encounter. Well, my first thought when she said that is, well, that only works in Africa. Of course. Of course not. It works any place. And how many people who know Jesus Christ like you, that's, that's, you can share the gospel. So that's a truth encounter. You can pray for someone. You see, it's not just, it's not just pastors or persons who are credentialed minister that can pray for someone. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you have the authority to pray for someone and trust God for his divine power. And you have the opportunity to love someone. The gift of time, bringing someone into our home and saying, let's just sit down. Let's, let's spend some time together. You know, there are a lot of you that have some really wonderful homes. You've, you've paid the mortgage on it for a long time, or you've paid the rent for a long time. And, uh, uh, and, and, and in fact, you, you've, 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 you've spent a lot of money and making it nice and buying some nice stuff. You, you watch television programs that talk about having, flipping these houses and making them beautiful so to have people over. But when was the last time that you invited someone into your home to befriend them, to encourage them, to instruct them, or even lovingly correct them? Ask yourself that question. And it can't be family. When was the last time you invited someone to your home because you wanted to share Jesus with them in your home? something the Lord has given every, every one of us. A lot of wonderful places, and we all thank God for our places, especially on a cold winter's night. We say, oh God, thank you for a warm home. Do you, but do you realize that God can use that place to bring the good news of Jesus Christ to someone? He can use your home. Paul mentions Aquila and Priscilla three more times. He mentions them in the last letter to the believers in Rome. The last chapter, rather, of the book of Romans. He, he greets them. He says, greet Priscilla and Aquila. 
and, and he, he, he greets them again in the second letter to Timothy, right at the very end, he said, which by the way, the, the, the book of the letter of 2 Timothy is the last thing we have that Paul wrote. It was written just before he died. And in that last letter that he wrote that we have, he says, greet Priscilla and Aquila for me. But it's what he said in his first letter to the Corinthians that really speaks to me. In his first letter back to the church in Corinth that was planted some years before, in chapter 16, verse 9, Paul wrote this. Aquila and Priscilla greet you warmly in the Lord, and so does the church that meets at their house. Isn't that neat? <laughs> Priscilla and Aquila, every time they show up, they're having someone to their house and they're ministering to them. And I say, oh God, do it again. May God use us in relational ways to walk the journey with others, to encourage them, to pray for them, to befriend them, to reach them. If we think that the only place that people can come to Jesus Christ is in a church at an altar of prayer, then we will never reach our world. Do you know why? Because there's a whole lot of people that have determined, I will never darken the door of a church. But they will come to Christ in your home when you share the good news of Jesus Christ over a wonderful meal or a cup of coffee. Loving them, caring for them, strengthening them, encouraging them. There are other believers that you know. You just see them all, all you, sometimes the only time you see them is at a, in a church service. But you don't have a relationship with them. They may need encouragement. Now, some of you are thinking, I've, I've said with this throughout this entire, this entire series, some of you are saying, well, no one's invited me over. Well, we, we have to get beyond expecting someone to do it for us, and we need to be the person who does it to someone else. Amen. So if you think, well, no one's done it to me, get over it. You be the person to bring someone in. Be the person. Don't expect for them to be the You be the person. So God, use our homes. God, use us as we walk this journey with others. I'd like you to stand with me, please. <laughs> our guest this morning, she, uh, she contacted me yesterday and I told her, I says, we'll get a hotel room for you um, if you want to come early. She was coming from Watertown. And she said, no, no, I'll just drive Sunday morning. And then she said yesterday when she saw it was going to be minus 26, she says, I think I'll take you up on that. But she didn't. She didn't stay at the motel. Some friends invited her to their home. Memories were made. Somebody was encouraged and strengthened. They even did something so holy as they watched a Hallmark movie. Oh, man. <laughs> but I know that they prayed together. That's just one example. Just one example. I'm not doing that to elevate anyone else. I'm simply saying, God, use our homes. God, use our homes. God, use our lives. Let's do this together. 
Let's stop thinking that being a Christian is, means that we just see someone and we greet the same people because we sit in the same places every Sunday. God, help me to interact with people and love on people over a meal for his glory so that some will be saved. Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and my sisters. I thank you for people who have experienced new life in you. You've blessed them. They've grown in you. They know things about your word that they, 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 they and some have served you for a long time and, and they've grown in you and they know so much about you. I pray that they would share you with people who don't know you. I pray that that love element, which is so often demonstrated just by the giving of our time, that that love element would be demonstrated in someone's home, even in the days and the weeks ahead. That you change some hearts, that that home isn't just for a place to make it beautiful and enjoy it with a few people, our immediate family or our extended family. I pray that you'd use us, Lord, to reach the world around us in very intimate ways, in very relational ways. Thank you, Lord. As we leave this place and we go into fellowship now, um, may your power go before us. We share the truth. We share the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we love people. Thank you that you called us to do this, and you called us together. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Go in the power and in the privilege of the Lord Jesus Christ.